Hi, sorry, sorry about about that. All good. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome, welcome <coughs> to to another dish edition of the Off the Dome podcast. Um, I'm here with a very fast special guest today. He is the author of We On, um, a book inside that amazing March Madness run with the University of Michigan. Um, former HP Giants legend. Uh, Josh Bartlestein. Josh, thanks for having Thanks for, thanks thanks for, for joining. Of course. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be able to join the uh, Off the Dome podcast. I have to add it to my, uh, to my accomplishments. It's great. <laughs> uh, means a lot. Coming from an HP legend means a lot. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm excited to get going. Um, so my first, first question for you is that you truly had quite the experience from up until the end of high school to your job now with the Pistons. For those that are not familiar with your story, please walk us through your past experiences to get where you're at today with the Pistons. Yeah, uh, I've, I've been very lucky more than anything else, right? So I was basketball had always been a, a huge part of my life and, and growing up in Highland Park and ever since I was a kid, I would go watch HP Giant games and, and, and watch Coach Harris and my dream was to always be a varsity basketball player in, in Highland Park and then go on to play college. And, and lucky enough for me, I, uh, I made varsity my sophomore year at Highland Park, um, but I got hurt. So I had ankle surgery, so I missed my whole sophomore year. My junior year, I, I hurt my hip, so I basically missed my entire junior year. So my only real year of game to play high school basketball was my senior year. Uh, we had a great team. We, we were uh, like 25 and 4. We won our regional and lost in, in a sectional, but um, it was a great team and some of my best memories and with a great group of guys and obviously with Coach Harris uh, leading us. And uh, after Highland Park, I, I, did, I knew I wanted to play you know, basketball in college and I had a bunch of you know, low to mid-major offers and some Division three stuff, but my goal was to always play in the Big Ten. So I went to a year of prep school at Phillips Exeter uh, for a year. Uh, one, because I was healthy. Two, because uh, some of the best high school basketball in the country. And three, by doing that, it would, it would likely create more opportunities for me uh, when I graduated from there. And I had a really good year there. And by the time I was done my year at Phillips Exeter, I, I had some Big Ten offers. So Northwestern, Indiana, uh, San Diego, Valpo, Drake, you know, a lot of good basketball schools. And at the very end, Michigan came calling and um, they offered me a preferred walk-on spot of Coach Beeline, and they kind of were on the cusp of building a really good program. They just made the NCAA tournament. They had two walk-on guards who were starting play they just gotten rid of. Uh, so it, it, it made a lot of sense. And then when you add in the academic aspect of going to Michigan and then the socially, it kind of checked every box. Uh, so from there, I went to Michigan, and, and in four years, we went from kind of being a team that was an afterthought in the Big Ten uh, to a Big Ten champions to – um, to going to the Final Four and, and being in the national championship. And it was a, a kind of a meteoric rise. And I always joke besides my great tall waving skills on the bench, but, you know, we had seven NBA players you now on my team my senior between Karis LeVert, Tim Hardaway, Trey Burke, Mitch McLeary, Glenn Robinson, um, just absolutely loaded with really good players, uh, but even better than that, great people. And um, – so that opened so many doors, right? Because anytime you get to play on the national stage, and I was a captain of that team and made so many connections and relationships, um, from there, uh, I, I, you know, I 
I went into real estate for a year. And then what had really happened to get to the Pistons was our vice chairman and minority owner, and tell him, called me and said, hey, I want a young guy to kind of be my right hand and, and help lead and, uh, and kind of, you know, help me run this organization. And I moved to Detroit five years ago to be his right hand. Um, and from here, we've done a lot of things on the business side, from moving our team in the suburbs to downtown and from Auburn Hills to Detroit, to really being active in the community, uh, building an incredible practice facility, moving our G League team downtown, um, and now, you know, uh, trying to build a winning team on the court here. So um, I- I've been very lucky, as I keep saying, and so much of it's opportunity, and I'm taking advantage of that opportunity. Um, you're the oldest of all your sisters. Do you think you influenced them to play sports growing up? Yeah, I think my we all we all love sports. You know, my my dad would always be in the driveway playing, whether it was um, basketball, uh, soccer, baseball. Um, you know, my dad just loved sports, and for my me and my sisters, it was a chance for all of us to bond. So whether it was playing horse in the driveway or playing soccer, uh, you know, working out. Um, you know, sports is a huge had a huge role in our family, and I think you know, with me playing it, and I'm watching me play, and then I'm wanting to play it themselves, and that's you know, being part of a team is so unique and so special because it's a great way to make friends, and you have mutual interest, and uh, there's a, there's a level of discipline and accountability, and kind of understanding what being part of a team transfers to so many aspects of life. So I think for all of us, as we get, became part of team sports, we loved it, and you know, whether it's Morgan, Courtney, or Kirby, we all kind of kept rising up, uh, you know, playing sports, you know, through elementary, middle, and then high school, and, and for me, lucky enough to college. Um, what was your experience like playing for HBHS, and what was your relationship like with Coach Harris and uh, my neighbor, Coach Deutsch? <laughs> yeah, two amazing people. I, I always say Coach Harris could – could be a college coach. He could be an NBA coach. Uh, he's one of the best high school coaches in the country. And I truly believe that. And that's why every time I <coughs> I go back to Highland Park and talk to the team, I say that to them because I don't think they realize how good they have it. Um, just uh, the program he's built, and it's so much more than basketball, but the people, you know, when you go from kind of being a kid as a freshman to a, an adult, a grown man by the time you leave there. Uh, and, and so much of that is, is going through his program and his core values and uh, you know, being a part of Highland Park basketball is sacred. It's special. So anytime you know someone's part of that program, uh, you know what they've been through, and you know that to do that, uh, they're a special person. Uh, and Coach Deutsch is the same way. You know what he's done for, I think, what, is maybe 18, 19 years now. I think Coach Harris was telling me wow. he's been an assistant coach at Highland Park. Uh, and and you, between both of them, as good a basketball coach as they are, they're even better mentors and people. Um, they stand for all the right things, and, and Highland Park's lucky to have them. So uh, I, I think I think the Highland Park community doesn't re- truly realize how special they are. Uh, and every time I go back back home, I make it, you know a, a concerted effort to say hi to them and see them because they've had such a big impact on my life. Um, yeah, I, I agree on Coach Harris and Coach Deutsch. I was the basketball manager my senior year, and uh, – they treated me like everyone, one of the players, and yeah. uh, they're very special people. Yeah, they are. They're they're two of the best. They get it they're about all the right things, uh, and and I, I can't say enough good things about them. Right. Um, so before committing to Michigan, you said you play one extra year 
and Exeter Academy. What was yes, what made you want to decide to play one more year of high school basketball before yeah. going to Michigan? Great, great question. So it was a tough decision, right? Because when you graduate high school, you know, all your friends are going to college and having a great time, whether it's, you know, Indiana, Michigan, uh, wherever they're going, you know, they're, they're outliving their best life. Um, but again, for me, my, my dream was always to play college basketball in the Big Ten. And with and being in high school and being hurt my sophomore and junior year, um, I just didn't have enough of a platform to, to get the offers that I wanted to get, right? So I needed more time to develop. I needed more time to kind of grow into my body and work on my craft and my skill. So what actually afforded me was kind of a whole summer to prepare myself. You're one year older, and you're playing in front of college coaches every day because that league, the NEPSAC, NEC, NEPSAC League, is the best high school basketball in the country. It's a Brewster and Bridgeton, all these NBA guys that you've heard of have gone to those schools. And it's out east, and you have a bunch of college coaches coming to every practicing game. So it was a great platform. And I was healthy there, and I had a really good year there. Uh, and then kind of between that, between what I did at Highland Park and that extra year of prep school and just being one year older and stronger, uh, I was able to kind of use that and catapult myself into having a bunch of uh, Division One offers and being able to go play uh, in Michigan. Um, which other undergraduate schools did you consider from the Big Ten? <laughs> yeah, the, the, so my final four, you know, Mich- I obviously ended up in Michigan, but my final four was Indiana, Northwestern, uh, University of Pennsylvania uh, in the Ivy League and, and University of San Diego. Uh, and I visited uh, three of those four schools. So all great options, uh, all, you know, really good basketball, whether it's playing at Penn and you get to play at the Plestra. It's a San Diego part of the West Coast Conference of Gonzaga. Uh, it's obviously the Big Ten, you know, speaks for itself. Um, while you were the tallest Wolverine or the highest scorer, you were the captain. How and why did that happen? Yeah, you know, I think it, um, it's a good story, right? So at Michigan, they have this leadership conference, right, where all the student athletes participate and they bring in these uh, you know, teachers who teach kind of leadership and they go around the country to all the different schools. And as part of um, the kind of seminar you're in, they have your teammates and your teachers and faculty kind of grade you on the person you are and the leader you are. Uh, and it's anonymous. No, I didn't notice what's happening. Um, but when they sent the survey to all my teachers and my coaches and, and everyone from like the janitor of the, of the gym to uh, to Coach Beeline, um, I, I had one of the highest scores I've ever seen just because, you know, I just treat them with respect. And when you come in there as a preferred walk on, you know, a lot of things given to you, everything's earned. Uh, you better treat everyone with respect. Uh, so between that score and the respect I had up from my teammates and my coaches, uh, it was a very unique situation. We had, you know, two seniors had just graduated that were the captains, so both positions were open, and, and they thought I'd be a, a great steward of the program and a great person to, to be our captain. So, uh, you know, even though we had six NBA players in that team, I was kind of like the captain and, and was leading, and, and it wasn't obviously just me. We had a great group of seniors, a great group of guys on the team. Everyone took accountability. Everyone's job was to lead, and my job was kind of the conductor to push the right buttons, uh, make sure everyone felt appreciated, Everyone felt part of the team, you know, defined roles and, and, and moved full speed ahead. Um, and when you have that and you have a ton of talent, the sky's the limit. I think you can see with that team uh, how successful we were. Yeah, that was an amazing run. Um, that whole run was great. Um, and it was so great that you were the captain. 
Um, you had so many great, talented players. Tim Hardaway, Trey Burke. Um, it was a great run you guys had. Yeah. No, we were just loaded, right? I mean, you start Trey Burke and Tim Hardaway. Trey was uh, player of the year, player of the year in the entire NCAA. Tim, uh, first-round pick, having you know, an incredible NBA career playing for the Mavericks now. Glenn Robinson, you know, currently on Philadelphia, um, was our as a freshman starting small forward. Nick Stauskas, our starting two guard, was the eighth pick in the NBA draft. And Mitch McGarry, a first round pick. Like when you start five pros, uh, who all play well together and the pieces fit. Um, as I said again, it, was, it wasn't because of my taller. No, we were we were really good. Uh, you know, think about that starting lineup and how that would compare to anyone in the country over the last ten years, just from a, a talent standpoint. Yeah, that's an amazing lineup. Um, what was it like being the captain of Michigan during the 2012-2013 season? And walk us through that amazing March Madness run your team had. Yeah, it was a dream come true. You know, it's like the life of a rock star, right? When you're, you're yeah. you know, our team, our team was a top five team all year. We got to number one in the country in the, in the middle of the Big Ten season. Uh, we started 16-0. and um, so you're, you're going around campus and people are taking pictures and asking for autographs. And, um, you know, it's, it's, as, again, it's, it's like out of a movie. It's anything you could have dreamed of. Uh, and Michigan obviously is such a big athletic school. Uh, people know who you are. So, you know, we, we loved it. We, we didn't get our heads too big, but we enjoyed the, the, the spotlight. We enjoyed all the hard work we had put in and paid off. Uh, and then as you get through the NCAA tournament, the platform, and just the showcase becomes bigger and bigger. So once you get through that first round, the Sweet 16, you feel how close you are to greatness and becoming legendary going to the Final Four. And then once we got to the Final Four, uh, you know, it was a whole whole new level, just, you know, police escorts and not being able to walk around campus because people were flocking to you and uh, people chasing after the bus. And it was um, it was surreal to a certain extent because it just became a kind of life of its own, especially with some of the people we had in our team that were, were legitimately stars like Trey and Tim, um, you know, it, it was, you know, they were, they were celebrities. They were in every sense of the word. Uh, so whether it was in Ann Arbor or our first round was in Auburn Hills, Michigan. So uh, we had a great home crowd there. Our second round was in Dallas, which was a great Michigan contingent. And our fans came down there and flocked to our hotel or the final four, which was like Michigan of the South, which was just packed with people and everyone just going crazy for us. Um, it was, it was pretty special and unique, and that's one of the best parts that I always remember. It's just the atmosphere and, and the people and just what our hotel was like uh, and, and that entire journey. How were you able to manage everybody's emotions during that, that time um, from the, your teammates? Yeah, I think that it's, it's, a, it's the hardest part, and as the captain, I think, we, my message was to kind of enjoy the moment, right? We've all worked so hard for this. As any kid, their dream is to play in the Final Four. Our families were so excited to see us on this stage and to be a part of it with them. But then when it came time to practice our play, we had to lock in um, because, you know, we didn't want the journey to end. We were having so much fun. Uh, and, you, and the margin between winning and losing in these tournaments is so, so small. And we, you know, for as far as we got, it took – uh, Trey Burke's miracle shot against Kansas being down 12 or three minutes left and seeing it to overtime. It, it took, you know, beating Syracuse's vaunted zone and winning at the end of the game there. So uh, if you don't pay attention to details, if you aren't locked in, uh, the journey could easily be a different story. And, and, and I'm probably not where I am now if this story is different. So uh, 
it, it was a kind of threading the needle between enjoying every second we have um, while making sure it's a business trip and, and we, we don't take it for granted. Your book, We On, I read it again last night. Very enjoyable. Um, I really like the fact how each chap- chapter or section is a blog post of each day in each of your years at Michigan and your life off the court. While you were making these blog posts, what made you decide to want to publish this as a book? Yeah, so initially it was more of just a, a one-off thing, right, where we went, it started when we went to Europe as a team to play uh, abroad uh, in Belgium, and we were having different people write the blog uh, each day. And our fans loved it so much that our uh, sports information director said, hey, Josh, would you uh, potentially do this um, you know, throughout the, your sophomore season? And we'll see where it goes, and it'll be once a week. And you know, I didn't really take it too serious. And as our team started having more success and more fans, um, the blog became something people looked forward to every week because it gave an inside look and inside access to our team. And you know, so many people just see what happens on the court in those 40 minutes, but the truth and, and the magic and what happens – is all the interaction and, and all the things that happen off the court week to week. Uh, and that blog uh, gave a, you know, a picture, a sense into that. So after my, you know, again, junior, sophomore year, uh, win the Big Ten, junior year, number four seed in the NCAA tournament, senior year, obviously, that magical run. Uh, by the time it was done, a couple of publishers had called me and said, Josh, you know, this thing has a lot of, you know, views. If you add, you know, maybe 30 pages and kind of add to the final four run, you can turn this whole thing into a book and Michigan fans, you know, love this team so much. They love talking about Michigan basketball that you could sell this thing. So uh, it was never a plan to write a book, but the blog had kind of taken off over two or three years. And when I was graduated, I added some pages to it. And next thing you know, I was an author and, and my English teachers in high school would say, uh, that, that's crazy. Cause I definitely was, not, was far from a good writer and <laughs> in English class, but Hey, how, how, many people, how many people can say they uh, wrote a book? So there you go. Yeah, I feel like if you're passionate about something, it makes writing a book about it that much easier. Yeah, exactly right. And, and I loved it. I loved talking about my teammates. My teammates loved it. Uh, and it was, it was all in good fun. Uh, and, and it was a very cool thing that we got to experience. Tell us about your relationship with Coach Beeline. And what were some of the lessons, lessons you learned from him on and off the court? Yeah. Look, it's a lot of the same things that I say about Coach Harris. I think that's part of you know, the position I'm in. And so much of it is from being around those two guys. Uh, Coach Beeline stands for you know, a lot of the same values as Coach Harris, uh, just as far as appreciation, attention to detail, uh, doing things the right way. Uh, and you'll find, you know, amongst NCAA and even NBA coaches, there's various people who have a higher level of respect than Coach Beeline. You know, he's just renowned across the, the basketball space. Um, and it's not because he's one of the best offensive coaches ever and he's an offensive savant, but it's because of how he treats people. And that's, you know, his rise. He's a really cool stat about Coach Beeline is he's never been an assistant coach. He started as wow. an assistant coach. He started as a head coach when he was 20-something years old. Uh, in, in Division Three and Division Two, and just kind of skyrocketed his way up and just won a lot of games, whether it was at West Virginia, Michigan, Canisius. Uh, he's been all over, but he does it the right way. Uh, and, and he's so he's, he's so far above board in, in, in college basketball now where 
the line is, is very gray and you see people stepping over it all the time. And so much of the talk is one and done and, and recruiting players. Uh, he just puts his head down against players that fit his system uh, that want to buy into being there for two, three, four years uh, and want to have success. And if you do that, it's been proven you, you don't just, you know, you have incredible amounts of success because, again, he's a basketball savant um, who is also one of the best people you'll ever meet. Uh, and, I, and I got very lucky to play for him. Your dad is one of the more premier agents in the NBA. What advice have you learned for him while working for the Pistons? Yeah, you know, I think when I was very lucky with my dad that when you grow up and you see it, and I got to go watch his players work out. Um, so I got to see whether it was Mo Williams or P.J. Brown or Bobby Phils or, or name a player. Uh, my childhood was so much going to watch these guys work out. And what you see is how hard they work. Like, you know, like anyone that's good at anything in life, for the most part, is good because they work so hard. It's so whether you're a dancer, a musician, or a basketball player, the path towards excellence and you know, success at the highest level is sweat equity and putting in time. And I saw it with his players and I saw it with himself. Like uh, my dad, he's a really, really hard worker. And he says two things. If you work really hard and you're a good person, things usually end up in a good spot. Uh, so the basketball is all relationships. And that's one thing he taught me. It's a small world. It's a bubble. Uh, and everyone knows each other. And all, all you have is your name. So the way you treat people, whether that person's a general manager, head coach, or they're an intern is a reflection of yourself. And, and you get, uh, and, and your name is all you have. So I, I've, I've taken those two things to work really, really hard, be the, probably be the first one there and last one to leave and be uh, a good person. And I, I think if you do those two things, again, the rest of it, everything else will fall in place. Um, is it ever awkward for you when the Bulls face the Pistons, knowing that your hometown team is going up against the team you work for? Yeah. I know it, it was a little weird at first. I would go to the United Center and, Again, as a kid, going to all these games, you know, I was uh, cheering for the Bulls, but I'm all Pistons now. So uh, it's it's a little weird being out there, being at the UC and seeing my friends. But uh, I'm all it's all about the Pistons. Are you distracted by looking the audience for familiar faces, like your friends or family members? I, when we play the Bulls, yes. Yeah, you know, it's funny. When we play there, it's usually always people that come uh, to see me and our team. So it is a little unique that I don't get to spend as much time uh, watching the game. People are texting me or coming to say hi. But for the most part, I try to I tell them to get there early or come say hi at halftime or stay late. Uh, because when we are playing, I do try to lock in on the game. And uh, it, it's, only, it's hard to multitask and really lock in and see what's going on because there's so much, you know, within that play and the nuance of the game. Uh, that if you aren't really looking at, you'll miss. <laughs> yeah. Um, if I were in that position, um, it would be tough to stay focused. I want to talk to my friends and family constantly. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a good problem to have, though. It's it's always good to have people that want to talk to you. And it's always good to be able to you know, be at an NBA game and say you're working for a team playing the Bulls. Right. Um, your position with the Pistons, executive vice president, of operations, chief of staff for the Pistons. Didn't try to butcher that. Um, for those that are unfamiliar with your role, tell the audience and I what the role is exactly and what are your your day-to-day -day -day operations like when the season is busy 
and not busy. Right. Well, so my role is I work for our, our vice chairman, Arn Tellum, uh, who's another great guy and, uh, you know, had an incredible career and just brilliant. And it's helping manage and kind of run the company day to day. And the cool part about that is our company is so broad, right? So one day could be talking about how we're going to grow revenues and how we're going to sell more tickets and more sponsorship. Next day could be talking about, you know, wow, we've, we've developed a ton of real estates, so whether it's a new arena, a new practice facility, a new G League arena. Uh, our goal is to have some of the best resources in all professional sports, and I think we've done that. So one day can be that. Another day can be, you know, helping Aaron and Troy Weaver, our, our general manager, Ned Stefanski, uh, build out our front office and bringing in new people, which we're doing now, and talking about the draft and free agency and uh, lending support there. So it's very, very broad. Uh, it touches all aspects of, of the business and basketball and development. Uh, and I love it because I get to learn so much and be around really smart people. Uh, and I get to be an operator. And I think so much of my job is kind of solving just every day. There's lots of problems to solve. My job is, is figuring out how to solve those problems. Uh, so it's, it's, it's awesome. It, as a, again, as a kid growing up, you wanted to play big time basketball and then you wanted to be someday an executive for an NBA team. Uh, and luckily I've been able to accomplish both of those. Um, I understand COVID-19 has been a hindrance in the sports world. Um, but during this quarantine, what have you done to keep busy with your position exactly? Yeah. Well, there's been so much going on, right? Because the one thing about, uh, coronavirus is there's no playbook for it. This is all so unprecedented. So we're having the one, you know, the health and safety and well-being of our employees and our players making sure everyone's safe and feels comfortable both mentally and physically. Uh, and then making sure you know, we're managing our business, right? Because we're right in the middle of our season. So what does that mean for our, our fans, our partners? Uh, what does that mean for next season? What does that mean for training this off season? Um, while, while a lot, you know, a lot is different, you know, nothing has stopped. We're just looking at it through a different lens now. So uh, it's been as busy as ever. And then the good thing now is there's NBA games back in Orlando in the bubble, uh, which means there's some sort of, you know, normalcy, a long way from what we thought we'd be right now if, you know, kind of summer league, but at least basketball is being played again. Uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, we can get through this bubble and then turn towards next year and figure out, you know, next season. But uh, it's been a very unique four months, and I'm sure that's not going to change anytime soon. Um, also, during this quarantine, what is it like to come home to HB? during quarantine? Yeah, that's been one of the blessings of, of quarantine is I've been able to spend some time in Chicago and Highland Park and to be around, you know, uh, I basically, when I graduated Michigan, I lived in Chicago for a year and I've been in Michigan for five years. So, you know, nine of the last 10 years, I've either been in Ann Arbor or in Detroit. So I haven't got to spend a ton of time at home. So whether it was with my sisters and spending time with them or my parents or my cousins, uh, I would say the blessing in all of this is that quality time I've been able to spend with them uh and be at home and uh it was like i joked it was like being back in high school you know waking <laughs> up in my room and someone was doing my laundry and getting all my meals and i was uh, I got the off our, our dog kenzie and uh it was awesome so uh you know i try to find the blessing in everything and i would say the blessing in this is kind of getting to be home and see people and spend time really quality time with people that I haven't gotten to do in a long time um do you play 2k a lot and if so I mean, I like to think you'd be great at the My GM feature on 2K. <laughs> Do you play I've that had, since quarantine? I've heard people talk about it. My 
my girlfriend Sydney isn't a big fan of me playing video games. So <laughs> I, I have a, a 2K, but I don't get to use it a ton. Um, but I'm going to tell her when this is done that you, you think I should be the, the real GM uh, uh, gaming option. So we'll see if she'll <laughs> let me do it. Yeah, I do that all the time during quarantine, playing 2K. Um, I play with my go. friends um, all the time. I also play the association. I would play with the Pistons sometime, and I play with the Lakers, and I play with the Bulls. It's kind of fun to do the association. Well, I, I appreciate you playing with the Pistons. Yeah. Uh, and you can let me know how, how all of our players are doing, and, and you're inside uh, scouting at first. <laughs> Will do. Maybe uh, we can connect some time and play 2K against each other. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give to anyone trying to break into the sports industry during the stressful time? Anybody for any position in the sports industry? Yeah. No, I think it's like any industry, right? So much of it is relationships and connections. So, um, you know, making, you know, emailing, you know, when the world's going to return to normal at some point, right? So it's, you know, whether you're in high school or college, uh, you know, being a really good person, making those connections, you know, using your um, advise, academic advisors, whether it's high school or college, to go and, and just meet people and just learn and listen. Uh, like, like any sector, the MBA is a small world. It's about knowing people. And you just have to put your head down and kind of self-deprecate and grind and grow and, and learn and kind of grow through it. There's no there's no skipping steps. You know, every single person's story starts with kind of being an intern. It starts with being on a low level and you work hard and you have some success and you grow from there. So whether it's Eric Spolstra, who was in the video room to, um, you know, the list goes on and Rick Carlisle, assistant coach to, uh, all these guys have stories about how they had an opportunity. They started low and they just worked really hard and had success and went from there. So, um, I think that's the key is, is be realizing that no, no job is too small and, and making those connections. And then you just, you know, once you get the opportunity, you roll with it. And I think it's only a matter of time when we'll be back and meeting in person and uh, people will be, you know, making those connections again and, and having opportunities arise from that. Um, my final question for you. Um, what do you think – of the bubble so far in Orlando from what you've watched preseason and how do you think this will hold up throughout the restart of the season next Thursday? Yeah. I think they've, the NBA has done an unbelievable job. Again, you're, you're basically creating a playbook uh, from nothing because this is all unprecedented. Uh, and it seems like uh, what they're doing is having, you know, success, uh, and the devil's in the details. I think the amount of time they spent planning, the logistics, the coordination, uh, I'm sure we can't even imagine the level of detail and the amount of meetings they've had to pull it off. Um, but from what I hear from, from colleagues and players down there, is it's incredibly well run. They feel safe. And they're really enjoying playing basketball again. So um, I, I'm, I'm fingers crossed because it's good, it's good for people. It's good for sports. It's good for the NBA that we're playing games again. Uh, I can't wait for next Thursday to be able to tune in and watch. And I think a lot of credit has to be given to uh, the league, the Players Association, all the teams who all came together, collaborated, and have come through with a really great product. And, and you know, I, my hope and, and I believe they will be able to spend the next three months, you know, pulling it off and getting you an NBA champion. Um, I agree with you. I think Adam Silver is the best finisher in sports. What he's done 
is truly outstanding. Yeah, he's he's unbelievable. Uh, what he's, you know, in his time, the amount of success he's had and dealing with this, he's. Um, I, I would agree with you. I think he's the best conditioner in sports, and and there's a ton of credit, uh, and has done it the right way, and stands for all the right things. I agree. Um, Josh, thank you so much for agreeing to do this podcast. I truly appreciate your insight um, throughout throughout your journey and what you do with the Pistons. And uh, you gave great advice to me and any aspiring sports professional. Thank you so much, Josh. Of course. Thank you for having me. Uh, you do great work. Uh, I look forward uh, to hopefully being on again. Uh, stay safe, and hopefully I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, Josh. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening, and have a good night. Thank you.